This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 48, The Secret 10-10-10 Formula. How much do I really need to save? Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hello, everybody. Mark Willis here, one of your hosts of this uh, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. And with me in the studio today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Hello, everyone. All right. So, uh, is it possible that uh, you've been told something from uh, your financial advisors or your uh, money managers or the the most recent uh, money article you've read that isn't true? Is it possible? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I believe that Wall Street in general uh, has a mission to uh, convince us that we must risk our money to achieve any kind of our any any kind of growth to reach our financial goals. We can't just save it. We have to go for the gold. That we have to put it all on the line, get it out there where we can't, you know, touch it and where we don't have any control over it. We have to take that risk. Saving is boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing sexy about saving. Uh, we are supposed to take risks, right? Um, you know, that's the very money that we can't afford to lose, and there we are putting it all on black. You know, so investing is not at the foundation of a financially stress-free life. This, uh, this boring toolbox episode is all about saving. And I think we're going to teach you some really interesting and very foundational and just raw, easy stuff that you could set up for yourself today that will kick Wall Street out of your ear and uh, put you back in control of your financial future. So the big question I hear so many people ask me is, how much, Mark, am I supposed to be saving? You know, I, I, I can do this. I can do that. Uh, maybe I'll crank up my income like we talked about in our last episode. Maybe I can dial down my expenses a little bit. But what's the right amount? I don't want to needlessly, you know, uh, work my uh, work myself to the bone or cut the budget down to the bone. What's the right amount to save? Okay. Any thoughts on that, Holly? Yeah. Well, in order, you know, kind of in order to save properly, we would say follow the 10-10-10 rule. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, the 10-10-10 rule is really how you get your financial pyramid to stand right side up. Um, And so this formula may well be the single most important life-changing piece of financial wisdom you'll ever receive. Holy smokes. That's quite a claim. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Though it seems to work like magic, it actually is just simple wisdom from ages past. You know, what people in the past have done um, and have done so successfully. And so this powerful formula, though, it's not some fancy new strategy developed by a sophisticated Nobel Prize winning economist. It's a straightforward strategy that was actually pretty common just a few generations back. And yeah. so that magic 10-10-10 savings formula is this. Um, set aside 10% of your income for short-term needs, such as uh, vacations, gifts, Christmas, you know, anything that's kind of coming up here in the foreseeable future. Um, make sure that you're setting aside 10% of all of your income just for that. Uh, then you should be no, setting. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you, but that's more than what the average American saves altogether. Okay, In just Correct. checking. All right, Correct. so ten percent to short-term stuff. Got it. Yep, ten percent to short-term. Then we should be setting aside another ten percent 
for anticipated midterm needs um, and, and emergencies too, like a new car or college tuition or replacing a roof or major appliance, you know, home repairs, things like that. Okay. So we've got 10% going to short term, 10% going to midterm. And then we should be setting aside even another 10% for long-term retirement planning. So do that every time you get paid uh, before you do anything else with your paycheck. And that's it. Just take your paycheck, cut it 10, 10, 10, put it into its perspective categories. And there you go. All right. Thank you for joining us Magic for another rep. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. We've got more Magic to say formula here. formula <laughs> revealed. <laughs> so that, that seems almost... Like, okay, great, Holly. Thanks so much for that, right? How in the heck am I supposed to squeeze 2% of my income? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the average American savings rate right now is around 2.5%. Mm -hmm. How do we go from 2 to 30? Yeah, yeah. And so it uh, obviously, you know, it's going to seem impossible at first, like you said, when you're kind of looking at your um, dismal savings and you're saying, wow, I'm lucky if I'm squeaking by, you know, 5% right now, how am I supposed to increase that? But, you know, slowly work up to it. Um, of course, you know, we've talked about in the past ideas like restructuring your debts, um, your credit cards, your student loans, your mortgage, you know, maybe there's some things you can do there. Um, you could refinance, you could maybe consolidate some of those uh, debts if at all possible, get a lower um, payment, monthly payment on those potentially. Um, also, you could rethink your tax refund, you know, rather than that just being the summer's vacation fund, you mm -hmm. know, and, and it yep. kind of automatically have these things you're going to spend it on, um, you know, just use that as part of your savings. Or better yet, you know, don't get the refund at all. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just make sure that you know, then you actually be getting a better, a bigger paycheck throughout the whole year um, that you can then start to use towards that 10, 10, 10, rather than giving that, you know, zero interest loan to the government. It's one of the more interesting words the government chooses to use, you know, such as other things like uh, postal service, for example, or social <laughs> security. What's so secure about that? Or in this case, refund. Why is it called a refund? It's, it was my money in the first place. I loaned it to them at 0% interest. And then I had to fill out 50 pages of paperwork to prove it was my money in the first place to get it back. Mm -hmm. And by the way, did, yeah, did, did they uh, cash the tax payments faster than they sent refunds out to those that were due? No, absolutely. And they penalized you if you didn't, if you didn't send it in time. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, you're exactly right. All right. So rethinking the tax refund. What are some other ways we could notch up our... Uh, savings to get closer to that 10, 10, 10. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some of these are just kind of focused on uh, things you can do in, in your, you know, day-to-day -day life to kind of lower some of those expenses, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, to our episode last last episode, not to say that these things aren't important, these things are still important. So that's why we're talking about them here. Um, because there are some also, you know, just some simple lifestyle changes that you could maybe, um, you know, implement that would help you be able to save more as well. Um, like not buying a car, uh, you know, a new car every single year, right? Um, maybe bundle some of your expenses and get discounts. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, actually, we ran a couple simple numbers as to how much you could maybe save a month by making some simple changes. So, um, for example, if you were to um, take coffee to work, you know, that you made at home, and you maybe put in a thermos to help you, you know, keep it warm throughout the day, instead of buying a coffee on your way to work, um, that could save you almost 100 bucks a month. 
If wow. you, you know, mm-hmm. if you made your coffee at home versus bought it on your way. Um, you could also, you know, maybe quit that smoking habit, which is actually fairly expensive and what might lengthen your life at the same time. So mm-hmm. kind of a win-win there. Um, that could save you almost $300 a month. Uh, you could switch to a lower cost cell phone plan, which in some cases, I mean, that could save you a hundred bucks. I could save you 50 bucks. Um, but in our example, even just, you know, $20 a month would be, would, is still something. Um, only subscribe to cable channels that you actually really watch or maybe look at some of those yeah. alter- alternative um, uh you know, streaming kind of platforms. streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sling TV is actually one that my husband and I have, have enjoyed using and avoids us having to use a traditional cool. cable subscription. Um, and then also, you know, bundling your internet, your cell phone, your landline and TV service. You know, if you were to do all that, um, you could save yourself, you know, 50 bucks a month. Um, and then for the cable channels, that could save you potentially 40 was one was the number that we ran. So mm-hmm. if we added all of those things together, uh, we're looking at a g- monthly grand total of $510. 510 bucks times 12 months, that's over six grand mm-hmm. a year. Nice. Yep, exactly. So and, get, I mean, oh. it is it is a habit shift to do all these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, just switching your cable provider to, you know, a streaming platform or quitting smoking, those go back to the habit shift episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, previous to that or right after that episode is our episode about income mm-hmm. and investing in yourself. So as you mentioned, Holly, it's not just these expenses that we need to cut. It's also how much could we make six grand more this year? Mm-hmm. Could we go crush it uh, slinging pizzas for a while yep, if we have and, to? And do both. You know, if mm-hmm. you do both, yeah. then we're not talking about six grand anymore. We're talking about 12 grand. Yep. So, you know, potentially this is a way that you could take your your savings from whatever it is and add 12 grand to that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just by simply reducing expenses and increasing income at the same time, potentially. And so for some people, you know, you look at this and monthly grand total $510, um, you know, I mean, we know from our numbers and and from the statistics um, that we read and hear about all the time, $510 a month is more than most people are saving at all. At all. At Mm -hmm. all, you know, and so if you're just saving $100 a month, well, we just found a way to multiply yeah. that by five. <laughs> if you're making the average uh, salary in this country right now is $59,000 a year, or that's the median, I should say. So, you know, that's 10% of your income. 500 bucks a month is 10% of your income. So there you go. We're on our way. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll. Yep, exactly right. Um, kind of some other strategies in addition to some of these is uh, maybe reducing your 401k and your other investments because truly those aren't, that's not savings. You know, you could maybe make an argument to wiggle that into the maybe the later 10% mm-hmm. for long term. Um, so you could maybe kind of see it that way, but we have to make sure that those first two 10% are taken care of first um, because we have to make sure that we are saving for those emergencies and those short-term things that are coming up because if those aren't saved for those aren't prepared for all you're going to do is rob from those long-term plans anyways to cover the short term right so it's not you know might sound hokey to oh like rob your retirement to pay for now but there's actually a little bit of of logic to it because you're just going to put that money into that long-term retirement vehicle then you're going to have the tire go flat on the car 
and you're going to have to take a withdrawal from that long-term you know, retirement right. vehicle to pay for that flat tire, and you're going to pay penalties. You're going to pay fees. If the market was down, then you just took your money out in a down market. And so it's actually to your detriment to go about it that way. Mm-hmm. You have to build it up properly. Um, you have to make sure that the short-term can be taken care of safely before you can ever start to worry about building the future. Um, And ultimately, ideally, you're doing all three at once. You know, you're saving Mm -hmm. for the short term and the long term. So not to say that you shouldn't save for the long term, but just that you have to make sure the short term is taken care of first. Um, So that's why, you know, maybe temporarily reducing um, what you're, you know, putting towards 401k and some of these other investments um, might be actually a a good idea. Um, You know, that money's not safe. It's not liquid. Um, You know, maybe start thinking about only doing, you know, up to the match with your employer. Um, So that's another strategy. And then one last um, one I wanted to mention here is, you know, consider liquidating um, some of your investments as well, you know, to give your safe and liquid money a boost. Um, and so, you know, essentially you can take some from some of those investments, put them into these, uh, your short-term accounts, that sort of thing. So that that's taken care of and we can start to build up this 10-10-10. Um, I mean, because really if you think about it, if you're up to your eyeballs in debt um, and you're paying a third of your income, you know, to on your credit card, your mortgages, all those different things, you know, what good does a 12% return on your brokerage account do for you? Okay. So let me add that uh, math up there. All right. So, you know, and you're pulling a third from the U.S. Commerce Bureau, uh, their recent research that says the average American spends a little over 34% on uh, debt payments. Uh, mm-hmm. And so if we're spending after-tax dollars on all of our debts, and that's all a guaranteed return to some other bank, not to us. And we're hoping and praying and clawing and scratching for a 12% return on our 401k or brokerage account. I get that. Mm-hmm. I see why that doesn't make sense. The bottom yeah. of our bucket is leaking faster than we're pouring water in. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. And so, you know, it's kind of this idea where you you have to make sure that there's you know, more money coming in the front door than you have going out the sure. back door, you know, as, yeah. as soon as, um, you know, as soon as that paycheck hits hits the bank account. Um, mm. And and Mark, it's funny that you just mentioned that statistic of 34% of income because um, I think we just found our 30%. Oh, there you, know, you go, if you, you're if right. You, mm-hmm. If you add up 10, 10, 10, we're talking 30% of people's income right. is what should be saved. Yeah. So essentially what's happened here, and actually we, have the statistics to to support this too, um, is we shifted from savings to, to debt. debt. Mm. And that debt load is what is sucking up um, all the income that you know people in, in past generations sure. used to be able to put towards savings. So yeah. past generations could save 30% because they had so little going towards debt. But we've done is we've swapped the two and we've gone from essentially, um, you know, zero... We went from 30% of savings and maybe, you know, two, three, five percent towards debt to we just completely flipped it upside down. Yep. And now we're paying 30% to debt and, you know, one, two, three yep. percent of savings. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if we can just write that ship in our own lives, then this is actually a mm-hmm. whole lot easier than it sounds. You don't have to wait for Congress to pass some law on this. You don't have to wait until, you know, your employer um, makes this, you know, automatic where you're not getting 30% of your paycheck. You could start right now 
And uh, what's the worst that could happen? You could always go back to the way you were doing things uh, and back to debt if you really love it so much. <laughs> uh, so, you know, my thing is, you know, start what the best plan is the one you actually do. So if if 10-10-10, which is kind of grandma's way of saving, which is what they did in the 1940s, and, and you know, that's where your statistics were coming from there, Holly. If that's too much today, I totally get that. Uh, I mean, I've had years where I couldn't even do 555, five, five, right? <laughs> so start with what you can do. Maybe you can only do 222 two, two or 333. Three. You know, start with putting a little bit away. And I might recommend you lean a little heavy. If you really are just starting out, lean a little heavier on those short terms. You know, maybe it's mm-hmm. 521 or something like that. But get that, that short, liquid, safe, available cash built up quickly. And then you can lean a little heavier and smooth out that, you know, that uh, savings pyramid, you might say. As long as you're doing it consistently, it really um, is going to help you out in the long term. So back to that book, uh, Nudge, uh, you know, that, that's the book that brings up that concept that we bring up here, here on this podcast of saving more tomorrow. Go ahead and schedule the increase in savings that you'll do automatically in the future. You know, with our bank on yourself policies, for example, you can actually put in more uh, as you have room for it in these policies. And you could even send the paperwork in uh, for dated next year. So, you know, we're recording this in 2018, maybe July 2019. I just send in my form today in 2018 to increase my contributions to my policy next July. And it just happens without me having to remember to do it or committing to do it next July when I might not want to. Just a secret, simple way to, you know, build this nudge of saving more tomorrow. You can do that so easily. You can do that with these policies. I'm sure you can do it with other financial vehicles as well. So, you know, you'd never miss that money. As soon as you get a pay raise, for example, another great time to just automatically throw that somewhere where you can't touch it. Um, and, you know, you can put that saving strategy on autopilot. That's another really important strategy mm-hmm. where it's just automatically coming out of your checking account, going into your bank on yourself policy, and it's just automatic. It's almost like a self-imposed forced savings plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, make those drafts come out every month. Uh, do it at the start of the month rather than at the end when <laughs> maybe money's a little more tight. And then another fun thing to do is just track your progress or maybe fun for us nerds, I guess. Uh, But watching that um, net worth dollar amount grow every month is pretty fun. Absolutely. And kind of like we were talking about just a little bit earlier, that this is really where our last episode of Investing Yourself can also come into play and make a huge difference difference. Um, if you can't save, you know, 10, 10, 10, like we've been saying on your current income, then maybe it'd be easier for you to try and make more, you know, for you to just make more than to try and reallocate, you know, that much, that high of a percentage of your current income and what you're currently making. Hmm. Um, kind of like to our points earlier, you know, maybe it would be easier for you to just make more than pinch all these pennies until you can save 10, 10, 10. Wow. Yep. That's awesome. So, you know, now that I'm saving, what am I going to do with it? Where do I save it? That's uh, that's the key next question. So rule number one, live within your means. Uh, rule number two, determine that you're going to save it. And then I guess rule number three is where the heck do I put it? And we've had other episodes on this topic, but it's important to sort of think about some of the high level places where you can pack your money away because, you know, everywhere you can put your money will make it do different things. We want to make sure that it's being put somewhere where it's reaching and accomplishing your goals rather than somebody else's goals. Mm -hmm. Somebody else 
being the bank or your 401k administrator, plan administrator, Mm -hmm. or the government. Uh, So refer back to our earlier episodes, really discussing that financial pyramid. Uh, So, you know, Holly, start us off. Where's the just plain, simple uh, places you could pack money away and um, out-savvy the institutional investors? Yeah, so this is kind of a little bit of a review. We've gone over this in uh, one of our earlier episodes where we discussed the financial pyramid. So we're kind of referencing back and reviewing all that same material um, just since it's it's relevant. So what we're talking about is that um, very, very bottom layer of the financial pyramid, the the base of that pyramid, um, the places where you can put your money where it's going to be both safe and liquid, as, as Mark, you mentioned. And so um, the first of those places is under your mattress. So some of you may remember that. Um, a little hokey, a little different, but it's true. Uh, technically, your mattress or a tin can or, you know, kind of any, um, you know, your your stash in the basement, a safe, something like that, even a security deposit box, um, you know, that is somewhere you could just stash your cash and it is going to be, um, it is going to be liquid. It's going to be available to you. Um, in a place like that, it's not going to be earning you any interest. So there's that to keep in mind. In some cases, there's poor security if it truly is your mattress or a tin can. Um, And there is potential risk of loss, Um, you know, loss from losing it, not remembering where you put it. Um, But even inflation, Um, inflation Mm -hmm. could be uh, you could actually lose value on that money over the long term if it's just sitting there doing nothing. There you go. Savings accounts are another great place to sock away some very secure, very liquid money. Uh, you can even set up automatic transfers from your checking account to your savings. Uh, again, the trouble is it, banks are paying zero, virtually no no interest at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, next is uh, certificates of deposit or CDs. Um, you can get these in all sorts of different varying terms, um, anywhere from one month to five years. Um, what's nice about them is there's a higher interest rate than a savings account. Typically, you can get a little higher interest than your bank's going to be willing to give you for um, the savings account because there is a specific term related to it. So there can be fees if you terminate early. So keep that in mind. But as long as you know you're not going to need the money for a month or two months or six months. Um, Could be a great way to get a little bit more money, still keep it safe, it's guaranteed. Um, But of course, because of that term, it's not as liquid. It's really a loan to the bank. I mean, really, that's what those are. Mm -hmm. Um, Money market accounts, uh, that's another one where you can usually get those at your local bank branch. They earn a little bit of interest. They are insured institutions. Uh, They oftentimes require that you put in more as a kind of a starting block. You know, a lump sum has to go in there. And you can only have, say, maybe half a dozen withdrawals in the course of a year, for example. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, another option would be a money market mutual fund. So rather than just a money market account, we're talking about an actual mutual fund. Um, in this case, it is a true mutual funds, but typically comes with a slightly higher interest rate than you could get in just a money market account. Right. Um, this is a subset of mutual funds. And um, while normal mutual funds will invest in long-term securities, a money market fund, um, they are restricted. They have some more um, restrictions and limitations they have to work within where they have to invest in government securities and other low-risk like liquid invest- yeah. investments. Yeah. Um, Money market accounts do um, aim to hold the net asset value of shares at a dollar, um, which creates a steady but relatively low return for investors. But again, it's typically a little bit higher than you could maybe get in your own money market account. Um, there's 
no insurance on these accounts, but it's still relatively safe. So it's, you know, no FDIC insurance on something like this. Got it. Okay. So, and as we've talked about, uh, the value of uh, dividend paying whole life insurance is uh, another place where you can pack money away. Uh, It is a blend of life insurance and savings. So you're kind of, you know, preparing for the future and solving problems for today. Uh, It's a type of permanent insurance that provides you uh, some benefits while you're still alive, you know, so it does earn compound interest. And it's a cash equivalent in your portfolio. Uh, But I've found uh, that over a reasonable period of time, they earn a higher interest than, say, other cash equivalents like we've talked about, savings accounts and money market accounts. And the savings portion, the money you can use and access for emergencies and so forth, is guaranteed. Uh, and, you know, it does come with increasing values guaranteed every single year for the rest of your life on a preset guaranteed schedule. You get that schedule before you even, you know, put money into the policy. And the rate of return is typically higher than savings accounts, CDs, money market accounts, because they also are able to throw dividends in, non-guaranteed, of course. Uh, but typically you want to find a company that's paid dividends without fail for at least a century. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so sometimes people might hear this, though, and they're like, okay, so you're talking about how safe it is, but how liquid is it, right? Sure. Because mm-hmm. that's our criteria. Our criteria is that in order for it to fit within this bottom foundation of our pyramid, has to be safe and liquid. Yep. Um, and these policies still are. Um, you can borrow up to 85% or more of your cash value at any time. Uh, typically, you're borrowing at below market rates. Um, and as we talked about, you know, many, many, many times, <laughs> that money can continue to earn interest um, even on the money that you take out and you've borrowed. Um, Loan interest does go back to the general fund uh, where it can be used to pay dividends to policyholders. So it kind of all comes back to you Mm -hmm. in the end. Um, And of course, these companies we work with have consistently done all of this uh, for more than 100 years. So Mm. all of these are places where, you know, that qualify for that bottom part of our pyramid. But sometimes we run into people that think there are some other things that might also qualify that don't really. And so, um, Mark, did you want to talk about some of those that don't actually qualify for this bottom part? Yeah, well, you know, think of the pyramid, imagine a triangle in your mind, and then think of a street cone or like an ice cream cone upside down, sort of a a, a cone, right? So, um, you know, imagine now a circle in your mind. You know those pie charts that say diversification is a good thing? Um, well, what is diversification for? You know, what is the the outcome of diversification? Every financial advisor, and I'm a certified financial planner here, so, you know, I'm, I'm all for diversification, but what is the point of diversification? Isn't it insurance against loss? Mm-hmm. What, is the, uh, what is the best financial vehicle that helps insure against loss? Insurance. insurance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you've protected and you've solved the problem of diversification without having to pick stocks, bonds, mutual funds to do that. Uh, What does the insurance company do with your money once you put it into a policy? Do they just put it in a shoebox? No. They're diversifying it across at least one one one-thousandth of every dollar is going to a different investment because they can't, you know, consolidate their bond purchases and their fixed income portfolio into more than one one one-thousandth of their portfolio, at least according to state regulations. So, you know, we're, we're talking about a well-diversified, even base to your foundation um, that insures against loss, which is the real definition of insurance and the real outcome or, or goal of diversification. So I just wanted to bring that up. I think mm-hmm. that's super 
um, it, it helps me know that I'm still, you know, uh, solving the problem of diversification without having to be a stock picker, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Yeah. But, you know, unfortunately, there have been a lot of mutations in the insurance world uh, in the last 30 or 40 years to chase rate of return. Back to that old game again, right? Uh, so uh, items like variable life insurance, um, where you're directly investing in high-cost mutual funds, uh, universal indexed universal life and universal life and its other kissing cousins. Similarly, uh, there's problems and increasing expenses on indexed universal life policies. Uh, they lack some of the guarantees, some of the predictability that you need. I mean, the, the if you want to throw some money into a fun game like that, go for it, but don't make it the bottom two-thirds of your financial pyramid. Term insurance, of course, also can't be used as a saving strategy. Uh, you know, it's it's purely renting a death benefit. So, Holly, I, I mean, we've we've talked up some of the uh, benefits of bank on yourself type whole life policies uh, as a part of your foundational f- uh, financial pyramid. What are some some of the downsides associated? Yeah, because absolutely, we believe in looking at you know both sides of of the coin. We're not here just to talk about you know how rosy one picture is. We also want to kind of look at reality um, and be you know honest and upfront with everything. And there are downsides uh, to this bank on yourself strategy. These absolutely are long term financial plans, um, mm-hmm. and I would say this is maybe the one that's. Um, maybe the easiest for people that I talk to to overlook, but don't necessarily realize how important that is. Mm-hmm. Um, just in, in uh, you know, kind of by way of an example where that sounds easy to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. It's my future. Of course, it's long term check. You know, that's not a problem. Um, but without people actually really thinking about how hard it may be for them to save consistently over the long term. Um, so I've seen this trip up a number of clients, uh, just the idea that this is a long-term financial plan. And so um, it's very, very important that you see it that way. Um, So it's really intended to be kept for 10 years or longer, ideally your entire life. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about in the past how um, really the perfect scenario with one of these policies in order to get the the greatest value and benefit from it is to hold on to it for your whole life and ultimately let that death benefit pay out. Yep. So it is a a long-term plan for sure. Now you don't have to fund it for 10 years. But you should keep it for at least 10, right? Yeah, that's our kind of rule of thumb. Yeah, exactly. Um, This is not a get-rich-quick scheme, uh, which sometimes people are looking for, uh, but we don't offer those. Um, It does take time and it does take discipline. Um, It requires discipline to save and set aside that money consistently like that. Um, And that is hard uh, for people. So that's that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, and, but this is also the kind of discipline discipline that a budget can help you have. Sure. And, you know, budgets can be huge in not only helping you um, being able to save for one of these types of policies, but just accomplishing this 10-10-10 rule in general. Um, and so if budgeting is something that, you know, maybe is not your strong suit or something that you've wanted to do but haven't been able to, um, we have an episode on that too. So yep. just hop back to our budgeting episode, listen to that. Um, um, we have some really fun tips and, and insights to share with you as to how to actually succeed in budgeting um, rather than getting discouraged yeah. after the first day. <laughs> episode 19, I think, is uh, okay. our, our budgeting episode, toolbox episode, actually. So, yep. well, very good. Holly, anything else on this? Um, I think that was um, what we were wanting to share today. Yeah, just make it make it doable. Again, the best plan is the one you actually do. So thank you all for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. 
This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.